This podcast is proudly brought to you by Sky Racing and Ingress, number one in its field. When Alan Denham began his career as an apprentice jockey in the early 1970s, his family and friends predicted he'd be lucky to last 12 months. Imagine their astonishment when Alan lasted seven years riding 400 winners and collecting a Sydney Apprentices Premiership in 1973-74 with 51.5 winners, the highest by an apprentice since Jack Thompson's amazing 106 33 years earlier. Alan later became stable foreman to his father and for part of that time trained a small team of horses under his own name. Jack Denham passed away in 2009 and three years later the family's stable complex at Rose Hill was sold to the developers. I remember rumours persisting at the time that Alan's training days were over. Everybody had him getting out of racing. The only bloke who knew nothing about this impending retirement was Alan Denham himself. Alan's online to talk to me on the podcast. How did that one get started? I haven't got a clue, John, but like everything else in life, everyone knows your business by yourself. So, yeah. Well, the rumour mill was working overtime, wasn't it? It was, mate, but um, I had no intentions of uh, giving up. What else am I going to do? I don't know anything else in yeah, life. That's right. You'd been living on the Central Coast for quite a while as it was, commuting to Rose Hill every day. So Wyong was the ideal place for you to re-establish. No doubt in the world, John. Uh, five minutes from home now. I was lucky enough to get a stable of 25 horses built on track, toilet, shower, accessories and all extras with a 10-horse mm. walking machine, so it was luxury. Mm. And is that uh, your preferred number, Alan, 25? It's just a nice number, John. I have no problems with that. I have five full-time staff and three work riders and... Mm. It's very easy, you know what I mean? Um, every now and then I have to go down to Sydney on that expressway, mate, and I don't know how I've done it for so many years. I, I hate no. getting up now. Yeah, exactly. You've got easy access to Sydney, uh, to Newcastle, Musselbrook, Scone, Cessnock, Port Macquarie, Taree. You've even been to Tamworth a couple of times lately. Yeah, mate. Look, we haven't got the, uh, uh, what would I say, the best bred horses we get at Wong, you know what I mean? All the big boys in Sydney get the deer ones. Mm. So we have to travel and um, travel we do. And, you know, you just got to do it to survive these days and do the best by your, your owners because you can win a race in the country. Now it's 11 2, and mm. you've got Bob's at 16,200, which mm. if you found on the ground, mate, you'd pick it up pretty quickly. <laughs> I'll say. Now, Alan, the win strike rate of Wyong trained horses in the last couple of years has been very tidy. Very good, John. Look, there's a lot of good trainers up here. As Like I said before, we don't get the best bred horses, but uh, you've got your, from, starting from me, then you've got um, Tracy Bartley does a good job. You've got Damien Lane does a good job. Then you've got uh, Kim Wars, the next one down. Does a good job, you know what I mean? Christian Buchanan, Les Tilly's doing well, Jeff Engelbrett, you know, the old Beeve gets his odd winner, you know mm. what I mean? It's mm. uh, for a little place, we have a very, very good strike rate, as you said. 
You spent your early years living with your family at Croydon Park, an inner western suburb in Sydney, and your father trained at Canterbury for a number of years. Now, back then, Al, Canterbury was the mecca of the smaller trainers. Some of them had stables in the backyard. Yeah, we had our stables in the backyard. I was only 12 years old when we left there, John, but I remember we had, you know, it was good times, hard times, and um, <clears throat> both my parents done it tough early, and we just, you know what I mean, at the end of the day, um, Dad got an offer to train for Stan Fox, which moved us from Croydon Park, or Canterbury as you call it, to Rose Hill. Mm-hmm. That's how it started. You had a pony from an early age, Alan. You could ride from a very tender age. Believe it or not, John, in those days, um, I used to ride to school on the pony and one of the stable boys would come with me and take me pony home and pick me up at the afternoon and ride him home from (laughs) those days. And you'd ride Dad's horses exercise most days after school? Yeah. In them days, John, we used to walk them around the road, ride one, lead two. Believe it or not, you you wouldn't do it now, but um, Mm. that's how it used to be in the old days, yeah. Your dad was obviously one of Sydney's best trainers in an era of great trainers. What were his strong points, looking back now on those early days? What did you see as the secret of your father's success? Well, he always used to feed well, work hard, very loyal to his owners. Not many owners left him in them days and... Mm. You can put in all your trainers, but there was no better trainer to set up a horse and pull off a plunge, that's for sure. Yeah, great judge, wasn't he? Oh, very good judge, mate. And when we, when he said, yeah, you know, very rarely they got beat, and if they got beat, they'd, they'd be round the mark, you know. I think he had a lot of bookies frightened when he bet. Was this because of his eye for a horse, Alan? Could could he just look at a horse and and recognise its degree of fitness and its degree of health? Oh, that was one part of it, John, but I can't go to, into it too closely. I might get uh, shut down what they used to do in the old days to make a quid. <laughs> Com- completely different now, mate. The more races you win now, um, you know, the better it is, prize money and that. But in, yeah. in the old days, I just put it this way, they might have two or three race days where they're in uh, not the right type of race and then you'd, you know, you'd find the right race for them and, yeah, it'd, you'd be uh, pretty hard to beat, yeah. Dad trained one of his best horses out of Canterbury for a while and that was the hugely talented Ricochet. He won the Epsom in 1970. Uh, now, later, Dad took him to Rose Hill when he made the move. I think you got to ride him in a race one day. Yeah, I rode him his last start at Rose Hill in it. In the old language, mate, he had 10 stone, 8 claim 7. Mm. Uh, he didn't win. It was 18, 1900 metre race, but it was just a privilege to ride him for um, Wally Truscott, one of Dad's greatest mates and mm. loyal um, owners. When Dad made that move to Rose Hill, most of his owners went with him, as you said, and this was around the time you became an apprentice. Do you remember what your friends and family were saying at the time, Al? You were pretty tall and you had a frame that was always going to stack on weight. Yeah, well, John, no one knew how long I was going to last, but 
I always wanted to do it, and if you don't have a go, you'll never know, mate. So, mm. you know, I lasted seven years at the game, so it was pretty good to me in the days I was there. So I have no regrets. I wasted hard, done it tough. Mm. But I'm not the first jockey to do it, and I won't be the last. I remember your first ride in a race at Randwick. You rode April Skies. You ran second to a horse ridden by Peter Cook. Now, you claimed your full seven... And you rode, I think it was a mare, wasn't it, April Skies? You rode her at a featherweight. She had seven stone eight claims seven, which was seven stone one. Mm. In uh, That's in our language, but now if you take that to kilos, it's 45 kilos. Hard to believe, isn't it? <laughs> in a four-pound saddle. <laughs> yeah. Could I ask you your weight today, Alan? I don't mean to, uh, to pry. Well, if I... Went on a eating splurge for a week. I'd get up to the hundred. Would you really? Mid nineties, mate. Mid nineties, without trying. Yeah, you had to wait seventeen rides for your first win. That was at Newcastle. Horse was called More Reward, trained by your dad. An unforgettable moment. Yes, it was, and it just fell in by half a head too. But um, yeah, seventeen goes to get there. But um, then we got flying. But um, like you said, you never forget your first one, John. Your first city winner was a horse called Prince Vakil, trained by another Rose Hill trainer in Terry Ramsey, and you, you rode a double on the day. I think the other horse was Barbaric off the top of my head, mate, if mm. I remember back that far. Yeah, Barbaric. Mm. Terry Ramsey had a good horse, Alan, in the 60s, you might remember, a two-year-old called Academy Star, ran in a golden slipper. Yeah, I remember that. Then he had another very fast two-year-old too, a Biscay horse. Um, I just can't think of his name at the moment. But, yeah, Terry was very good with uh, young horses, yeah. Mm, it'll come to us later. Now, to stay in the saddle for seven years, you had to make great sacrifices. Did you waste sensibly or did you take shortcuts? No, mate, I was uh, – mum cooked for me all the time, you know. There wasn't much there and uh, – I got a bit hungry during the night and went to the fridge. My young sister, Sandra, be dobbing me in, so I had no, <laughs> no alternative. You told me you could be nine stone two on a Monday morning. That's 58 kilos. Yep. You'd have a ride on the Wednesday at 8.5 or 53, and somehow yep. you got there. Well, you know, over the weekend you just had to, I say, explode. You had to let loose, mate, and... You know, in them days, we'd be getting up doing boxes at 3 o'clock. We'd be riding 15 a day, you know what I mean? So you put on all your sweat gear and you just had to do it. When you started riding, your dad was training a huge team of horses for a man called Stan Fox. Uh, he was a coal and trucking magnate who'd burst onto the Sydney racing scene a few years earlier in a very, very big way. Now, Dad had a few horses for outside owners, and all up, you had 113 horses in the stable at that time. Where did you put them? Well, we had two sides of the road. Uh, we had 55 on the main side, and we had 58 boxes, which is more or less right next door to the um, Rose Hill Bowling Club. So we had both sides of the, the street there. Stan Fox owned one of the best horses you ever sat on. His name was Purple Patch. 
He was by Pakistan. He was out of an amazing family. Uh, you rode him in most of his wins, Alan, and he had a booming finish if you rode him the right way. Yes, he did, John. And as you said, he had a great family behind him, you know what I mean? He was a half-brother to surround. Mm. Cox Plate winner and a great mare. You had Lord Eyebrow. You had Val Marino. Yeah. Their mother was Dulcie and surround and Purple Patch was out of Micheline, which I think was a daughter of Dulcie. So mm, that's right. Some good horses come out the family. Purple Patch won 20 races. You rode him in most of them. He won a Rawson Stakes, which is now a Group 1. That's the Ranvet uh, these days. He won a George Main. Um, was he the best horse you ever rode in a race? No doubt in the world, John. Um, best horse for me and the best horse I rode, yeah. And he trained on, didn't he? I mean, I think he was going as well as a six-year-old as he ever was. Yes, he was. You know, he's very, very easy to handle. Cold or stallion, he had no qualms about him. Just, um, yeah, just nature's gentleman. That's probably why he, he trained on for so long and was so successful. You rode a couple of lovely mares for Stan Fox. Favoured was one. Tropic Jewel was another. Yeah, they were two good mares. Um, Tropic Jewel was my favourite horse, actually, and um, mm. favoured was Stephen Schofield or Beaver. And I think Beaver even got a ride on favourite one on her. So, mm. no, they were two two great mares, yeah. Now, Beaver, Stephen Schofield, as you say, is an old stable mate, and he's still a stable mate. He's training at Wyong too. Yeah, mate, he does his best. He only has a few in work, but he gets around and rides a bit of work. Um, would help anyone out that's struggling or, you know, can't get a horse work. He's just always been just a lovely bloke and a, just a little battler and just doesn't whinge, doesn't moan, just goes about his business. Kim Doherty was in the stable when you were an apprentice and so was Peter Cuddy. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, Kim Doherty, a bit like me, got too heavy, and I run into Peter every now and then when I got a runner at the Gold Coast. He he works up there. Um, him and his wife now just uh, strapping or you know doing things like that. He doesn't ride work anymore. But in the old days, when I'd take a horse up there, I could still get Peter to ride at work for me, or his son, which was great help. You know. Yeah, well, Peter Cuddy, Alan was still riding in races at. Into his 50s, I'm sure. That's exactly right, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's still battling on up there and um, he's had a few bad issues in life, you know. Uh, Without going into it too far, his daughter was married to Alan Cowie who ended up in a wheelchair, you know, and Mm -hmm. he's had a couple of hiccups since then, but um, he's a survivor. Oh, he certainly is. You know, you rode a lot of short price ones for your dad. And no doubt you rode plenty that he thought could win. What was he like if you happened to put in an ordinary ride? Did he let it go until the track the next morning or give vent to his feelings on the day? Well, you didn't want to be in the car coming home, John. That's all right. <laughs> he could keep it going for a while, could he? Well, I had five rides at Newcastle one day. I won on four and got beat on the fifth. Well, I knew I got beat on the fifth, but I didn't know about the four I won on, so... <laughs> Of the 400 winners you rode, there was one that gave you a mighty thrill. 
you were invited as an apprentice to ride against some of the best jockeys in Australia in an invitation race at Caulfield. You rode a horse called Terry's Son and you won the race against the very best. Yeah, well, I was lucky enough to get an invite through being the leading apprentice, John, and I'd never ridden at Caulfield before. I hadn't ridden round the track. And I still, still recall the race, ended up running third in the fence. I had no idea where I was, to tell you the truth, and I just looked up, and when I <laughs> seen the straight, I hooked out and got the money. So Yeah. Yeah, but um, no, like I said, to get an invitation to ride in them type of races is a privilege, and to win it is... You know, you just never forget that. That was in the 73-74 season, so you can imagine some of the jockeys uh, to whom you were opposed in the race. Roy Higgins, of course, would have been there, so would Harry White, and you've probably yeah. forgotten all the others. Well, I have, mate, but, uh, you know, like I said, it was a pleasure to ride against, but I'll never put myself in their class. But um, you go back all them old-time jockeys, if I can just tell you, you know, mm. we were... When we were apprenticed, we had the Camers, the John, Jack Thompsons. Uh, you know, everyone apprentice went into the room in them days. Mm. All they wanted to do was, they'd say, sit down beside me, son, and you can't believe the help you get off all them old-time jockeys. They were just mm. unbelievable. Yeah. Doesn't it happen now? Sorry, mate? Doesn't happen now? Oh, I wouldn't think it'd be the same these days. Mm. But, um, like I said, I never go in there unless I'm getting a set of colours, but I think it's more like dog-eat-dog dog these days. Yeah. The lowest point in your career came when you were charged with not allowing a horse called Boulder Caddian to run on its merits. And Jack became embroiled in this somehow, and you both got six months. Well, they... The way it happened, John, I got six months and, uh, you know, I was riding Dad's horse, so they just say I'm riding to instructions and I swear on my kids, oh, if I've got three of them, the horse wasn't dead in the race and it never won a race after. So mm. we were wrongly convicted, but anyway, those things happen and uh, you just get on with it, you know. Yeah. So we done it tough. He didn't do it tough money-wise, but being out of the game was tough ultimately. Well, you had to relocate so many horses and then start again. Yeah, well, that's we sort of finished with foxes then, and uh, well, what happened there? Mister Fox died, and um, there's too many people telling us, telling that I might say that he wasn't allowed to have his outside owners, which it, you know, blokes like Wally Truscott and that had been thick as seas. Uh, the whites. So that's how we ended up going to Western Street when we were told Dad had to get rid of his outside clients or mm. just train for the Fox, which didn't suit him. And mm. we had to start again, John, you know, like just building up and that. But at the end of the day, we ended up with Masque, Vandara, all of the white sources, might and power by going out on our own. So yeah, absolutely. I don't think we've lost anything there, mate. Two new owners came on the scene, Alan. Destined yep. to bring your father some of his greatest training triumphs, Jeff and Beryl White, who bred and raced some wonderful horses. Uh, their 1982 Golden Slipper winner, Maske, they actually bought at a yearling sale. I think he was a $50,000 purchase. And your dad provided the Whites with some enormous thrills. Yes. So, you know, 
great owners. As you know, Mrs. White's still alive, but uh, Jeff's passed away, as we, we know. But um, we remember when we first bought a couple of horses from the first year, that they won a couple of races. And the following year, they said, Jack, we can't afford to buy this year. You know, they, they started off battling and they're not very successful people. And mm. then the following year, they come back and said, we're ready to buy. And that's how we got uh, Masco. Mm. Yeah, I can still see him winning the slipper. Big cult. And your dad thought he was unbeatable that day in the slipper. Well, he got beat the start before, John. Um, I think it was it was Mr. McGinney. We run second and Duke Diamond run third. I think the margins were a half head by 17 lengths or something like that. Mm. But he was such a big cult. Dad was never going to let him go, more or less. And then mm. when Mr. McGinney beat him, that was really the first time he'd, he'd had a hard gallop and come through that very good and all he done, you know what I mean? Then he was he was happy to sort of put the pressure right on him. But even when we bought him as a year and when everyone said, after he become Masco, they were the underbidders. Mm. No one thought he'd stand with the size of him, you know. Mm. Oh, he wasn't had, he? Yeah, he was a giant. Was a giant. And a very successful sire and broodmare. You know, the, the whole Star Kingdom breed went through him and continued. Mm. George Altamonte is another loyal supporter of your stable. He started with Dad many years ago, 40 years ago, in fact, and he still has a horse or two with you. Yes, very successful businessman in his own right and breeding right. Jesus, the horses he's produced, you know I mean? He's just got the golden touch putting his mares to the good stallions. Mm. And he puts the best to the best and that's how you get results. The 2019 English-Australian broodmare and weanling sale and the chairman's sale were an overwhelming success. The chairman's sale ended with a clearance rate of 92% and an average of over $427,000, a record for a Southern Hemisphere sale. On a memorable evening at Riverside, four mares sold for a million or more, two of them selling for two million or more, and they were Maastricht, Dam of Loving Gabby, and dual Group 1 winning mare, Srikandi while a further seven sold for $500,000 or more. Lot one, a trapeze artist breeding right for next season, made $105,000 for injured jockey Ty Angland, who was present at the sale with his wife Erin. The two days of select and general race fillies and brood mares averaged over $42,000 with a clearance rate of 76%. Select Weanlings averaged $36,000 with an 85% clearance. The four-day sale grossed almost $40 million. You'll find the full sales results and information on upcoming sales on inglis.com.au. Another well-known owner to seek your father's expertise was Nick Moratus, who brought with him a horse called Might and Power. Now, Al, you were never the official trainer of Might and Power, but you had a lot to do with the horse. You took him interstate several times, including the occasion of his stunning Caulfield Melbourne Cup double in 1997. Yeah, I was lucky enough to travel with him everywhere, John. Uh, we had our three-horse trailer. 
we used to throw him on the back there and take him everywhere it's like he's part of the family and uh, yeah what he done for us is unbelievable you know just an out there champion the day he won the Caulfield Cup, it, it's hard to imagine any horse in the world on the day beating him over 2,400 metres. He was just awesome. Yes, he was, mate. Like you said, I don't think anything would have beat him on that day. But yeah, you, know, you don't – oh, you do see the winds like it every now and then, but you wouldn't find a better one than his. You've always said the stable should have won three Melbourne Cups. You won one, as we said, might and power. What were the other two? Well, Natsuki got beat half a head or something like that by Empire Rose, who was a big mare, 79 hands high. And, uh, mm. Yeah, I still remember Mick riding, that, uh, riding him that day. He drew three Allen going out of the turn the first lap. He was a mile from him. Dad said, geez, I don't know how he's back there, but oh, it made you cry to see him get beat, I'll tell you. Yeah, and he got clobbered in the straight too, Alan, didn't he? Something he shifted out and bumped him, put him right yeah, off balance. It was unbelievable to see how close he got. And like I said, it's um, very disappointing. You don't get that many chances in them type of races. And then we had old Yippee-I-Yo, you know, which was very unlucky too. Mm. Yes, he ran second to Brew. <laughs> That's correct, yeah. Uh, Darren Moon rode him that day and he got a few checks and, I think he's run about 17th of the half mile or something, a mile from him. And mm. Yeah, so, you know. You're probably right. Probably right. Should have been three. Yeah. And the one we won, I thought we got beat when we seen old Greg Hall go up with the uh, – <laughs> Yeah. I just walked away. Yeah, he thought he'd won Hall, didn't he? Yeah. 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 Jeff and Beryl White, Allen were the owners of the best horse you trained in your own right, Eramine. 27 starts, 12 wins, 9 placings, $4.2 million. He won three as a two-year-old. He won a couple of early three-year-olds and then you put him away. When he came back, he ran second in the Royal Sovereign, the Hobartville and the Canterbury Guineas. Then he won the Rose Hill Guineas and the Derby. Yeah, very, very good horse, John. I'm sure he had the potential to win your Caulfield or Melbourne Cup or both, you know, but... Um he had a back problem. We got everywhere. Everybody come from everywhere that could fix him, but it, at the end of the day, it never happened. No. Just a shame, you know. Like talk about good horses. He was, he was one of the best. You kept him up for a while after winning the Derby. Uh, you went to Queensland where he won the Gold Coast Guineas, ridden by little Danny Beasley, uh, who's now a foreman for Danny Marr in Singapore. Yeah, lovely bloke, Danny, and, um, you know, he was just there at the time and got the ride on the horse, and I was glad to put him on and glad to see him win it. You only gave him one more run in Queensland. He ran second in the rough habit, and then you tipped him out for a long spell, and he came back to win some really good races, including the BMW and the Queen Elizabeth Stakes. Yeah, two great races to win, and like I said, um, a lot of people probably don't know how good Aaron was till you read his, um, what he'd done on, you know what I mean, like you just told us, John, but um, he's the sort of horse that just, yeah, I think he got under the radar a little bit. Yeah. Now, just yeah. tell me again, Alan, what were his exact problems? He had a back problem just past where the end of the 
the saddle goes roughly around where the flanks are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's near side hind when he'd walk, he'd overstep by about eight inches, his front leg, and on his offside front, he wasn't even overstepping, he was stepping very short. Mm-hmm. We had choir practice, we had genius, everyone with a name coming out of Gardy. Yeah. Mm. You trained a very fast horse called Spark of Life. Won eleven races, including uh, the Galaxy with Chris Munts on board. Yeah, very good horse to us. Um, didn't cost a lot of money. I trained him for the people that own the Royal Hotel, mm. and um, yeah, he was very good to me. Like brilliant sprinter. I just remember one quick story. We galloped in the opposite way once with Johnny Higgins on him, and I had Billy Dale. You'd remember Billy well, the yeah. starter. Yep. He galloped in the dark and said, Go 600 the opposite way on the course proper. Yeah. He was gone about 15 minutes. We couldn't find him. <laughs> Me and Billy Dale went walking. Yeah. Old Higgs has gone up the 1200 metre shoot instead of staying on the course proper, hasn't he? Goodness me. <laughs> so he got off him and walked him back and thank Christ he's a quiet horse he'd have gone through the fence <laughs> yeah. yeah working him in the dark comes with some risk yeah well we had to get him done early before you know the, the smarties permission to go the opposite way before he um, held anyone up so yeah. yeah and then he went up one two of the manicados or Two years in a row, which took a bit of doing. Yeah, that's right. He won the Galaxy and the Manicato uh, in one preparation. Uh, yeah. Then he had a blow. He came back. He ran second in another Galaxy. He won the BTC Cup Group 2. He won a second Manicato, and this time Glenn Boss was his jockey. That's correct, yeah. You when used- he won the BTC Cup, um, he was the first horse to beat takeover target. Mm. He ran in the race. Oh, he did a great job, Alan. Yeah. You'd like him to walk into the place now. Would I what? <laughs> Heavenly I Glow, lovely filly you got hold of. She she only raced 17 times, won nine of them. She won nearly 800,000. Now, you got her from Ross Stitt as an autumn three-year-old. And didn't you have some fun with her, including a Group 1 Arrowfield and a Group 1 Australian Oaks? Yeah, I've said it before and I'll say it again, John, to get a horse off another train, it just doesn't happen. And uh, Ross said to me, he said, I'm going to send you down a couple of handy horses, you know what I mean? And uh, mm. he knew how good Heavenly Glow was. And I suppose, you know, Ross had to do a bit of travelling at that time with Tari and mm. uh, to the city and all that. So, as you know, we, we were at Rose Hill at the time, so... It was only a hop, skip, and a jump to Ramwick, anywhere we wanted to go. And mm. I'll never forget the man for what he done for me for that. You know what I mean? Mm. That just doesn't happen. Robert, These days, are likely to pinch him off you than take him. Yeah. Him to. yeah. Robert Thompson had been her regular rider, and I imagine at the request of, of Ross Stitt, Robert retained the ride with happy results. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't have blinked an eyelid me from Robert Thompson on a horse anywhere, John. Mm. You took her to Brisbane too, Alan. She won the Doombin Roses and ran third in the Queensland Oaks. Yeah, we're a bit unlucky in that. Uh, 
very heavy track that day and I'd have had it over again, I would have been telling Robert coming to the turn, cut the corner, then go out, but we went round and covered a lot of ground, you know what I mean? Um, just one of those things. Ross Stitt sent you another nice horse later by the name of Youthful Jack. You won four straight with him, including a Group 2, the Royal Sovereign. Yes, very handy horse. Uh, probably not quite as good as Heavenly Glow, but... Uh, when I'd sort of done as much as I could with him, Ross took him back and got him going again. I think he won a million dollars that all John. He won a million. He won a Ramoni handicap too late in his career. Yeah, yeah. You, Clays, Al, uh, was a special horse to you, owned by Jeff and Beryl White, and he was your first Group 1 winner. It was the Goodwood handicap in Adelaide, and the jockey was your friend and mine, the late, great Ken Russell. Yeah, that was a huge field, John, and uh, to, to be legging Kenny up, you know, that was even a better thing because, not because he's not here to stick up for himself, Kenny, but to get a better man and a better person, you, you'd never find one. No. no, he was unique, Ken Russell, and gone but never forgotten. No, he was one of them solid blokes. He'd be at the track every morning, and in them days when you're stable jockey, we had five runners. He'd ride the five, and whether they were even money or hundred to one, mm. never whinge, never moan. No, just just the ultimate gentleman. You got Yippee Io from your dad. Uh, Jack had won seven with him, and you won another seven. Yeah, yes, I was very lucky giving to me to train. And oh, look, it doesn't matter whether it was in A denim or J denim. I think we were a very good team together, John. Yeah, no doubt about that. And. You'd obviously consult one another. You'd swap ideas, swap opinions. Yes, that's right. Even when I took them away, we'd be on the phone all the time. You've got to see how they're eating, how they're doing. You know what I mean? You might want to work a horse a certain way and you get up and look at the feet in the next morning, there might be half a feed left or you you know it's not normal once you know your horse. So just talk to each other and you might go a little bit easier on him or if you give him an extra feed, you might be giving him a bit more, but that's a bit about families in businesses, John, you know what I mean? It's can't do it any better. There are no error mines or sparks of life or yippee-i-o's in the stable at the moment, but the winners continue to flow, Alan, as we said earlier, on tracks all the way up the coast, sometimes in Sydney, as far afield as Tamworth. You've got one there at the moment. I think he's in the paddock currently. But uh, he could be the nicest horse you've had for a while. His name is Macambo. Yes, John, I don't like getting carried away with him, mate, but um, <clears throat> he's had three starts for two wins, gets back in his races, but finds the line very well. Uh, he won a Kemler, only a maiden, but I think that was a pretty good Saturday-class maiden, if I can put it here that way. And then mm. he went to Creek Farm and won and give him a start and, Yes, he, he finds the line very well. On the, I was half tempted to take him to Brisbane, but he's not there yet, so patience is a virtue in this game. So I might be a mug, or we might find out he's a good horse down the track. How long will he be out, Alan? Not too long. He'll have about six weeks. I've spoken to Judy and Brent, mm-hmm. Judy Hudson, who is the daughter of Jeff and Beryl, and Brent, her husband, and... Um, I'll give him about six weeks, give him a couple of runs, drop him again, then he can come back and have a go at him mm. early next year and 
we'll see where we stand with him, John. There was a suggestion that you might take him to Brisbane for this carnival, but you ruled that out. Yes, mate. Uh, nomination shut, I think, on the 30th of the April. And I'd had his, once again spoke to Brent and Judy and mm. was tempted, but I just felt like I said, I don't as Bart Cummings said in one of his many quotes, the greatest thing about horse racing is patience and not many people have it. So mm-hmm. I think if you looked after your horse, your horse looks after you, John. You and Michelle have a family of six between you, so your life is well and truly committed to family. Yes, yeah, three each, mate, but none together. But uh we're all gone through the nappy days. The youngest one is 20 now, so yeah. they're all working and uh, now they're all doing fine. Thank you. Well, you learned from a master and you learned well, Alan Denham, because you were an outstanding young jockey despite increasing weight and you've certainly reached the pinnacle of the training profession in your own right. And it is great to catch up on the podcast. Lovely to talk to you. Thanks very much for your time, John, and appreciate all your kind words. And this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. The 2019 English-Australian Broodmare and Weanling Sale and the Chairman's Sale were an overwhelming success. The Chairman's Sale ended with a clearance rate of 92% and an average of over $427,000, a record for a Southern Hemisphere sale. On a memorable evening at Riverside, four mares sold for a million or more, two of them selling for two million or more, and they were Maastricht, Dam of Loving Gabby, and dual Group 1 winning mare, Srikandi, while a further seven sold for $500,000 or more. Lot 1, a trapeze artist breeding right for next season, made $105,000 for injured jockey Ty Angland, who was present at the sale with his wife Erin. The two days of select and general race fillies and brood mares averaged over $42,000 with a clearance rate of 76%. Select weanlings averaged $36,000 with an 85% clearance. The four-day sale grossed almost $40 million. You'll find the full sales results and information on upcoming sales on inglis.com.au.